Thank you for coming Thank you for coming out. Welcome. My name is Dubs Weinblatt. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I'm so excited to be here. In 2015, I founded the Queer Improv Show, Thank You for Coming Out, or TIFCO as we call it, and it is now one of the longest-running queer improv shows in New York City. During the show, our storytellers share their coming out stories, and then our improvisers bring them to life. Our podcast is a little different. We still have a storyteller share their stories, but instead of folks improvising, we talk about them. And this episode is different because we are unfortunately still recording during the COVID-19 pandemic while physically distancing, which means we're not in our studio and we are not using our professional equipment. We are doing the best we can with what we have. And uh, yeah, so I'm so excited about our guest with me here today. Rachel Rapino, she, her pronouns, won an NCAA national championship with the University of Portland in 2005 played pro soccer in Europe in 2010, and eventually retired to pursue pursue her passion in the health and fitness industry. Leveraging, I, I'm so excited I came and read. Leveraging her BS in life sciences and MS in health and exercise, Rachel went on to build a top performance training company and lifestyle apparel brand with her sister, U.S. soccer star Megan Rapino, both in Portland and nationally. Training thousands of players across the U.S. from youth to the professional level, Rachel's trusted training methodologies and brand made her a highly sought-after performance coach. After working for the University of Portland women's soccer team as the head performance coach, Rachel left to co-found Mendy, a sports cannabis brand improving athletes' lives using nature's best tools. She continues to apply her expertise in training, competition, and recovery in the effort to better understand the role recovery has in performance in the human body. With her network of influential athletes and passion for competing, Rachel is shaping Mendy's products and business to build a brighter future for sports by keeping athlete health and inclusivity at the forefront. Rachel, welcome. Thank you, Dubs. So great to be on your show. Yes. Uh, What a pleasure. It's wonderful to meet you. Yes. It's so wonderful to meet you too. I'm so honored that you're here and uh, sorry, I'm like bouncing around. I like can't read and I'm bouncing. So (laughs) this is real life. It's okay. It's Thursday. We're edging towards the end of the week. I'm sure you've had a busy week. So we're just, we're going to be patient and just give each other breaks during this conversation. If we need them. Yeah, that's so nice. What a nice intention to set for our conversation. Thank you. Yes, of course. Of course. We got to meet each other where we're at. Yes, I love that. Um, so how, how are you doing? Man, how do you Big want me question. to answer that question? <laughs> that's a loaded question. How do most of you guys answer it? Um, I'm doing great. All things considering, I really can't p- complain. Uh, I'm over here in Portland, Oregon. Uh, obviously we have a lot of wildfires over here. So that like weighs heavy on all of our hearts because the Pacific Northwest in the summer is quite beautiful. Other than that though, um, business is good and it keeps me busy. Um, I, you know, we're, I'm, I'm sort of seeing people out and about, which is nice. Although with the Delta eight variant, um, things are getting a little bit more locked down again. So still some unknowns on the horizon, which obviously affects business, but all to say, I'm doing well. Yes. Good. I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah. This Delta variant is bumming me out. Have you been seeing the memes where it's like, 
my summer plans. And then it's like the Delta variant. So it's like two different like <laughs> versions of something. It's like, ugh. Yeah, no, I mean, it's obviously coming out of like COVID and the pandemic, we're a little bit equipped to handle it again. Um, and, you know, I'm definitely someone who tries to see the silver lining of things. So I think for me, uh, the coming out of the pandemic, it just helped me like uh, focus on my community here in Portland and my friends that really are just like near and dear to my heart. So I guess that is a plus, you know, just kind of yeah. like weaning out maybe some of the parts of the community that uh, were more energy sucking than giving, you know, I'm sure everyone's had this story, but I definitely am very blessed with like a wonderful friends group here in Portland, a wonderful family uh, all along the West coast. So my relationships um, just got a little bit deeper and stronger um, last year. So that's, you know, that's a positive. Yeah, definitely. I always, I really try to find the positives and things when I can, because it makes yeah. things, it makes things so much more bearable. It does. Um, it helps you digest, you know, and just get through hard times because life is hard. Life is, there's a lot of ups and downs. Um, so gotta, gotta be able to learn, adapt and grow. That's my motto. Learn, adapt and grow. I'm going to write that down, learn, <laughs> adapt, and grow. I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we all, uh, thanks for such an honest answer. Um, yeah. You know, because, you know, you said, how do other guests ask or answer? I would say a large majority would just be like, I'm good. And it's like, which oh, is fine. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm just but, getting in it. <laughs> yeah, no, and I love that. I love getting in it. Um, and then, you know, and then eventually we get in it in, within the interview, but um I have, I've been playing around on Tinder and, uh, someone will be like, you know, people will be like, how's your summer? And I'm like, do you want the real answer or do mm-hmm. you want the, I don't know this person. We're just getting to know one another superficial answer. Uh, yeah. and so far everyone said, I want the real answer, which I'm actually kind of surprised by. I don't know why, but this surprises me. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's kind of what I was getting at is like pre pandemic, you just, had more energy to deal with the bullshit, I guess, the bullshit of life and relationships that maybe didn't mean uh, as much to you or, you know, weren't as deep and meaningful as you'd like, but at least for me, I won't speak for everyone. Uh, Post pandemic, I would say I just don't have the energy for the bullshit anymore. You Mm -hmm. know, I kind of just want to cut to it. Um, Yeah. And just like be more sincere and, and honest, I guess, in my day to day. Yeah. I like that a lot. Last Mm -hmm. summer, I, did like I started testosterone, which was something that I was like really scared to do for lots of different reasons. Um, and I also stopped drinking. So I, I'm like a little over a year sober. And so I did these two things like right at like basically a month apart. And I did mm-hmm. that in like, I feel like in the hardest time, <laughs> like during a pandemic, who stopped <laughs> drinking in a pandemic? Um, but I, uh, I did all of that because I just, wanted to use the opportunity to like show up for myself and to like it like you were saying like it it really for me like got me thinking about like life is short and Mm -hmm. how do I want to show up for myself so I can show up for other people and to do that I need to like be my best version which is not drinking and living authentically which is for me taking like starting testosterone so I I just really relate to that like cutting all the bullshit and just being me. Yeah, that's great. I, first of all, congrats. That's really exciting. Thanks. Uh, I'm going to ask a question though. Was the, 
the cutting of the alcohol out, is that related to the testosterone or just a, a bigger theme in that part of your life? It's a good question. Um, I think that they're very related. I think that I was so scared to start testosterone and um, like, on the one hand, I knew that I really wanted the effects of testosterone, like the voice lowering and the different body hair and, um, you know, bo- different, you know, body shape. Uh, but that was just felt so like from the very, from very young age, wanting that and feeling really terrified about it. And so it's taken mm-hmm. me a lot of years of coming out as genderqueer seven years ago to getting to this point last year, I guess it's eight years ago, getting to this point. Um, but in between that, I was using alcohol as a way to drown this like voice that was like, this is you, like, Mm -hmm. this is what you need to be doing to affirm who you are. And I just wasn't ready to deal with it. And so I, I drowned it with alcohol and I drowned my gayness with alcohol when I, before coming out at age 20. Um, Mm. so they're very deeply related. And so now that I don't drink anymore. I can really listen to my, I have nowhere to escape. I have nothing. I can't escape. So I have to be present with the thoughts of things that I need to be paying attention to. And it's quite a wild ride. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's it's a beautiful journey. Congratulations again. And selfishly, I'm excited because I'm obviously looking at like the truest and most beautiful version of yourself, which is really exciting. Thank you. That's so kind. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, enough about me. Let's talk about you. (laughs) Uh, So we all have multiple coming out stories, multiple coming into ourselves stories. Um, And I invite you to share one of those stories with us. Oh man, I know my coming out story. Definitely not one story to your point. There was a lot of checkpoints uh, along the way. I mean, I, this is like very well known. Megan, I grew up, so I, I say Megan a lot and I, and I use the word we a lot because I'm a twin. So I just, I'm never a me. I was always a we growing up. So if, if you hear me saying we a lot, it's because I'm a twin. So I was just, nothing was ever just about me or Rachel, you know? Um, and my twin, Megan Rapino, who is, you know, plays soccer and is pretty well known. She has, she's very gay and she's every, she's gay and on display, uh, I guess you could say. So I'm definitely a little bit more private, but everything is, is pretty well known. But anyway, we grew up in a very rural Northern California town, very conservative and, um, you know, have a big family, lots of love, but just not a ton of language around sexuality and, uh, you know, sexual orientation and just sex in general. Uh, we really didn't like talk about any of that stuff, but I would say like my coming out was kind of in a few different phases in junior high was, that was when I distinctly remember first having crushes on girls still dating boys, of course. Uh, cause it was very heteronormative area that we lived in, but that's when I like really remember having crushes on girls. So I was kind of like thought about it. And I remember kind of just like putting it on a shelf and being like, that's interesting. Fast forward into college, started dating women, dating, started hooking up with women, but they were just my best friends. But I, again, I had no language for, it. I didn't even really know that that was like possible because I was also a Christian at the time and very heavily entrenched in my church Um, so still didn't really have language, very confusing, a lot of shame. 
kind of came out though in college because Megan was dating women and she came out to my parents and that didn't go well. So of course she had to throw me under the bus and be like, well, Rach is gay too. Oh goodness. (laughs) Yeah. So like help her come out. Um, but so kind of came out in college or got thrown out of the closet. Um, and Megan, I joke about this. There's no hard feelings. Cause honestly, I don't know if I would have ever said anything. Cause again, I was very private and I was very ashamed. And so in a weird way, I was like glad that she did that. So at least I could like confront it and start talking about it. Um, still didn't know if I was gay, still very ashamed, considered myself bi, was dating both men and women all through college, but like very much more into women. I would say though, after college, so I was like 24 and I had to move back to Reading and live with my parents. Cause I had just blown out my knee for the second time. And I had to get like two really major invasive knee surgeries. And so I was just like out for the count for at least a year it was a year long recovery. And when I went back to Reading, I was 24 and two of my other really good friends that I had gone to high school with, we all came back and like lived with our parents basically for a year to like figure out what the fuck we want to do with our lives. And I would say that year, and interestingly enough, even though I had gone to school in Portland and it's very progressive here, and there's a lot of, uh, there's a, there was a big LGBTQ community here. It wasn't until I went back to Reading where I actually felt like I was finally coming into myself. And I finally could accept the fact that like, I am a lesbian. I had never really used those words before. And I tell this all the time. My two really good friends, Jenna Tidwell, Jacqueline Hearn, they know this are two of my best friends we would go out to bars and I would get hit on by men and they would come up to them and be like, Nope, she's a lesbian. And I couldn't say it for the longest time, but, but they just had to say it for me. And then eventually in that year, I finally could just say like, I'm a lesbian, I'm gay. You know, I like women and like, this is who I am. Um, and so I have a really interesting coming out story. It was really hard for me to put words in it. I had to like, my friends kind of had to, to put the words in it in my mouth for me. And to say the words first, and then for me to like, be able to believe it. And I have no idea if like other people resonate with that, but that was my story. And then, and so at 24 was when I finally came to grips, uh, with my sexuality. Thank you so much for sharing. I think that will resonate with a lot of people. Um, <clears throat> before we, before we, um, started recording and this episode, you and I were talking about the importance of representation and visibility and I want that, that that is always a theme in all of these episodes, um, because when you don't see what's possible and when you don't know what's out there, it's hard to be able to internalize truths and or to say the say who we are and say the words, especially when the the identities that we hold are marginalized and mm-hmm. are decentered and you know what I mean? And so I, I totally, that totally resonates. Yeah. And it's, and it's, it's scary because especially during that time, but even now, I mean, one of the most consistent pieces of feedback that I always hear from people who came out, whose parents didn't take it all that well in the beginning is the repainting of the picture, Mm -hmm. right? Parents and siblings and close friends, whatever. It's like, they have to repaint this picture of what they thought their daughter or their son or their child was going to do in life. And that to me is so sad. And the only reason they're repainting it is because we don't have representation. We don't have all these stories and we don't have just, you know, presenting things in the media 
that tell us, oh, you can be gay and you can be a gold medalist. You can be gay and have a family. You can be gay and be married and have kids and actually live a more conventional life if that's what you want. Or you can be gay and be a CEO. You can be an entrepreneur. You can be a lawyer. So that's what we need to work towards. It's like, we don't actually have to repaint the picture. We can still have all the same things. I know for my family, my parents, it was the repainting of the picture. And then it was, they were stuck on this idea that they didn't want Meg and I to live They didn't want our lives to be harder than they had to be, which again, that's a myth. We all know because life is hard no matter what, whether you're gay or straight um, or non-binary, whatever. And that's something that we have to continue to chip away at because it's just not, it's not really fair to put that on the gay community. Um, It's also just not, it's not an accurate assumption that if you're straight, your life is going to be easy also. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, my, my family, I think, and yeah, my family went through similar repainting moments first when I came out as gay. And then again, when I, you know, shared with them that I'm genderqueer, transgender, and it's like, you know, they use words like mourning, mourning the loss of my daughter. And, and it's like, I don't, I don't like that. Like, and understand the, the thinking behind it because there is a change in, it's not even a change in relationship. It's just a change in words. And, mm-hmm. um, I want to add, like, kind of build on what you were saying about this repainting of like, if we had more representation and more visibility, you know, then we wouldn't have to repaint. And I want to, I want to take it one step further, which is if we don't place these heteronormative and cisnormative expectations on kids from the beginning, then there isn't any undoing later on. And there's no mm-hmm. reimagining or repainting. It's just, we've given these kids the space to be who they are and we've given them the visibility and the representation of possibility mm-hmm. so that way they can tell us who they are that way we're not putting any kind of expectation on them from the beginning and so I love, I love that it. like that visioning that dreaming um that's what I do in my work all day every day I'm an educator at a nonprofit um working with Jewish institutions because I grew up in a Jewish uh household in Columbus, Ohio, and there was no representation, no visibility into the LGBTQ world. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really hard. And so now I spend every waking moment trying to undo all of these cis and heteronormative structures so kids can just be who they are. Yeah, I completely agree. I know we, from the moment that we are birthed in this country and arguably the world, someone's already painted our canvas for us. Yeah. And we need to stop doing that. We need to like let each individual paint their own canvas. Heck yeah. Paint your own canvas. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I'm, I'm just looking back and I want to like, I don't know how to dig, dig a little bit into this, but I want to about this, this idea of like not being able to say what you wanted to say and like kind of leaning on your community to give you that strength. Um, what was it about saying it for you that you, it took you a minute? Well, I think because in general, words are so powerful. You know, I think, I think as a society, we're doing a better job attaching words to the way we feel or who we are, you know, whatever the situation is. Um, But I still, you know, because we live in such a binary heteronormative society where there's still a ton of oppression, um, 
we have a long way to go, I think, in truly like unveiling all of the words that people are feeling um, and the words that are said in households from a young age. And so I think that it just took me a really, because that language wasn't being used in my household, it just took me such a long time to A, you know, decipher between the language and, and the actual like words that were true to me but then also like believe them because you have to believe them too. And so I think for me, I didn't know what I was for a while. I didn't know if I was bi or gay, but I think I also just felt very afraid. I think I I was struggling with my own internal homophobia and it was stemming from this plate. I'm a very, like, I have a lot of goals and I'm a very like high achieving person. Um, And I'm someone who's just really kind of like overly obsessed with just constantly trying to be the best version of myself and challenging myself and never settling. Right. Like I've just been this way for me from a young age. So I think I was struggling with, with being gay and worried that I still wouldn't be able to like achieve all the things that I wanted to achieve in life. And even, even love, you know, I think even like I've been in a lot of different relationships in my, uh, I'm 36. So in my twenties and thirties, and I think it's just taken me a long time to even believe that like, I can have this incredible love, this like romance in my life and be a successful entrepreneur and like businesswoman and all that. Like, it's still hard for me to feel like I can have it all. Um, I don't struggle with internal homophobia anymore, but I definitely did in my twenties for sure. Mm -hmm. Am I answering your question? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Words do have so much power. And if you aren't, if one isn't in a place where they're seeing it and hearing it and believing it, then it it is really hard. I used to drive around and say I'm gay out loud in my car, like practicing and then have to pull over because I'd start crying because I was like, I can't, I just, I don't know if you relate to this, but like I would have moments back when coming to terms with my gay identity and and now with my trans identity still it's like I can't like I am this <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's like it it is still one of those things where it's like not that I can't believe it because that's not what I mean but it's um it's just wild to me that was like it never would have occurred to me <laughs> that this yeah. would be my life um, yeah and saying it and not feeling less than yeah you know yeah, because that's we a- live in a society with so much oppression as well yeah. Um, and if you don't, you know, if you're not in the inboxes, then unfortunately in our society, you're on the out group, you know, yeah. and, and that obviously needs to change and we have a lot of work to do there, but, um, yeah, I think I just felt less than like, if I was gay, I was less than, you know, for a long time. So I think that was just part of the like internal homophobia and like shame that I was feeling. Yeah. I'm I'm curious because I just, I recently, I think, uncovered a pattern for myself. And I'm wondering if this is part of your pattern of, um, because I love this, I love this idea of like constantly trying to be the best version of yourself and like always trying to be just like top notch. I mean, I I added top notch um, (laughs) (laughs) um, because I'm the same way. And I, I really am like, try to be an overachiever and for me, I realize it's because I'm trying to prove to the world that like, I still deserve you insert whatever, mm-hmm. like, 
not even though I'm trans or even though I'm queer, but do you know what I mean? Like, it's like a way to compensate. And so I'm trying to undo that because that feels like a not so healthy relationship between self-worth and what I'm putting out into the world. And I think Mm -hmm. a lot of what I do is very, it, it is all authentic, but I think the reasons why sometimes I push myself to the point of breaking is because I want to just like prove to everyone like that I'm also worthy. Is that, yeah. is that play into your pattern of becoming the best version of yourself or is it, is it just me? <laughs> no, I think it's definitely resonates deeply with me. Um, I, I mean, I was just having a conversation with some friends, you know, the other day, I, I think for me, um, I also was not, I was a quiet kid. I was really shy and very, I felt a lot, but like always been an internal processor. And I think that, you know, I didn't want to ruffle feathers. I wasn't, I've always been a leader, but I definitely don't go out of my way to go against the grain, if that makes sense. Um, You know, I'm, I'm super happy to break the rules. If the rules in in and of themselves don't serve me or like other people in a positive way, I'm happy to break the rules, but I don't like seek that out. I really don't seek out confrontation. So I think for me, it was like, if I'm going to be a woman, I'm going to be gay. I'm going to like do the very best job at it. I'm going to have the best love and the best work and, you know, the, the best career. And I'm going to like try and wow everyone. And I think to your point, Dubs, it just puts undue pressure and unnecessary pressure on us because it's okay to just be. Um, and I'm just, I'm Rachel Rapino, and I can just be. And sometimes the things that we want and the things that we need are very different. And it's, it's taken me a long time and it's still a long journey. I by no means have arrived. And I'm like, am I ever going to arrive? <laughs> yeah. Cause it's been, it's been a lot of work. I, you know, just speaking honestly and transparently, um, I've definitely, you know, I've had a long journey of, um, feeling like I'm enough, you know, and, and just knowing what my worth is. Um, and just like walking in my value, my actual values every day, not the things that, uh, my ego thinks that I need or that I want. Um, so anyway, that's a very long winded way of, of saying that, that definitely resonates with me. Yeah. That was the perfect amount of winded. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, yeah, I'm, I feel like I'm constantly negotiate, not negotiating my values, but checking in with them and making sure that I'm, I am living in integrity and doing the things that I, how I want to show up in the world and are the things that I'm doing serving that, serving that my like own personal mission. And it's hard fucking work. (laughs) It's like a lot of work. It's a lot of work. I mean, being (laughs) present is so hard, right? Like for me, I've always struggled with living in the future, which is they say like living in the future is where anxiety lies living in the past sometimes is where depression can lie. So obviously like the sweet spot is being present, but being present for me has been one of the most difficult tasks I've ever like tried to tackle. Um, and, but again, going back to 2020, I think that's why 2020 was such a hard year. And it was the first year that my company Mindy was in, in the market. So obviously like that has all kinds of stress in and of itself, but again, like trying to be positive and look at the silver lining is I think it, it helped me take a step back and really evaluate my values because values are so, 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 so important and like walking in them every day. And, um, 
you know, just it's, it's like helped me assess different people in my life or different, uh, engagements that I was doing or felt like I had to do or different ways that I was like showing up in my life. It just really helped me like trim the fat, I guess, in a sense. And, and once I like filtered them through my actual values of what I really do care about, it just took a lot of pressure off. Yeah. So how else, how else did that, like, like, so it took pressure off. What is that? How did that manifest for you then? So it's manifested in deeper and more meaningful relationships with a smaller amount of people versus feeling like I had to be everywhere and in everything to everyone all the time. It's helped me just be much more comfortable with just who I am and how I love people and how I show up for people. Uh, we all have different love languages. We all show up in different ways and, you know, um, I'm, I'm a notoriously terrible gift giver. And that's just something that I don't value in my life. And I think I, you know, just something as small as that, like I would kind of get down on myself because I should be this, or I should be that. So, um, you know, that's like obviously a very small nuanced, uh, example, but I would say definitely for relationships and even just being a leader, um, no one's perfect. And so making sure that I don't try and put like that pressure of being perfect on, on myself as a leader, but showing up in the ways that mean a lot to me, for instance, honesty is incredibly important. Um, saying what I mean and meaning what I say is very important. Um, you know, making sure that I'm like following up my words with action is very, very, very important for me. So like, mm-hmm. those are like little, and then, you know, keeping a balanced life, um, I am not someone that does well with all work. I'm not someone that does well with all play. Um, I definitely need to have like balance in my life if I'm going to be like functioning optimally Um, and not feeling bad about that because, you know, you don't need to work 20 hours a day. Like there's always going to be work to do, but it doesn't mean that you have to be working all the time. So just knowing when to like shut off and just take care of yourself is really important. So little things like that um, definitely I've gone a long way in the past year and a half. Yeah. But those are all, those sound big to me. Those are great. <laughs> um, and this idea of um, shoulds, I had a, a friend, I forget exactly who it was, but saying like, stop shooting all over yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, like, I feel like I would get caught up in the, I should be doing this and I should be doing that. And I'm, yes. I'm 36 and a half. And I uh, am like, I should be be married. I should own a house. I should, you know, all these, it's like, I'm none of those things. And I have roommates. I live in New York city. I'm, you know, and, but like says who I should compare to what? Yeah. And it's like, exactly. okay, no, I'm doing exactly what I need to be doing right now. Yeah. That, and, and that's my point, right? Like if you really take a step back and, and assess like whether or not you're happy, whether or not you're being fulfilled, you're doing what you love in, in terms of like your day to day, week to week, are you fulfilled? Are you joyful? Um, that's the most important thing. Happiness to me is like an interesting word that I think we throw out a lot, um, as a society, but to me, it's like, comes back to joy, you know, like, are you, are you joyful? And I, you know, especially being someone I've lived in Portland, like on and off for 15 years. So I'm like pretty entrenched in the community here. And this is my second business. So I think I felt all this pressure to be, you know, going to this dinner and this event, you know, I should be doing all these things and hanging out with these people and networking with all these people. And it's like, I had to like, take it. Well, COVID forced me obviously to take a serious step back. And then once I actually did that, what do you know? I'm way happier. Yeah. (laughs) And I have more energy to give to myself and my friends and my family. 
Um, so yeah, it's, you know, the shoulds are really important to assess. Do you, do you feel like you, and even just with friends, you know, like, do you, do you feel like you should hang out with this person or do you actually want to hang out with this person? And if you don't creating boundaries and like telling, giving yourself permission to say, I don't actually want this person in my life. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. Hmm. And then, and then actually executing that is a whole nother conversation. <laughs> I know, I know. And boundaries have been an interesting, uh, thing for me to uncover in 2020. I don't know if you're good with boundaries, but I came to realize I'm not great with boundaries with mm. like people. It's something I've been working really, 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 really hard on. So mm-hmm. I'm actively trying to do better with boundaries. I was just giving so much of myself and um, in the work that I do, both like my day job and then with thank you for coming out. Um, I've built myself a very small little platform, uh, but people, and I love this, that people resonate with what I say, my guests say. And so I get a lot of DMs and emails of people sharing with me, which is so beautiful. And I love that. And, but I was giving so much back to each person where I like, wasn't creating any sense of boundary or people, because I'm an educator professionally would tap me outside of work and be like, I need this, or can you tell me about this? And, and like in certain instances, that's okay. But friends of friends of friends expecting me to drop and teach them a one oh one, I was, I had to learn boundaries because I was about to explode of like, I don't have any energy for anybody. And I'm all, I was also not showing up for myself anymore. So mm-hmm. it's definitely something that I'm, I'm, I struggle with and I'm working really hard on. Mm, good for you. Thank you. Yeah. What kind of, what, um, what are you, what's your focus within education? Um, so I work specifically with Jewish institutions with my day job on, on LGBTQ equality. So I go in and I teach all about identity and language and pronouns and trans identity and concrete strategies, uh, to make more affirming spaces for their community members. Love it. (laughs) Thank you. I love it too. When I have the energy (laughs) to do it. (laughs) No, I do. I have the energy. (laughs) Um, yeah. And it's such important work. So we need you to have the energy. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so let's talk about Mendy. What tell, tell me, tell us, um, what Mendy is, what inspired you to start Mendy. Um, and I also loved, I was like digging on the website and one of the things, and also, I think it's in your bio inclusivity on the forefront. And so like what all of, what all of this means to you. Yeah. Well, um, thank you for asking. Uh, Mendy is, Man, it's been a, it's definitely been a passion for, um, it's a culmination of probably like 10 years of my work in like the health and wellness and fitness industry, but really at its core, it spawned from a place of like getting people away from harmful medications. I myself was subject to a lot of opiate, uh, prescriptions and use and abuse during my days playing in college. Cause I was, I had my first ACL, reconstructive surgery at 20, my second one at 21, all in by the age of 26, I've had, you know, I had six surgeries and was prescribed way more opiates than anyone at that age ever should. And I tell people this all the time, if it wasn't for the fact that my brother, Brian, so I'm one of seven kids, Brian is the next oldest to Megan. I, 
Um, and he's a heroin addict and Redding got hit super hard. That's where my, where I'm from, Redding, California, we got hit really hard by the opioid epidemic and we have a long history of drug and alcohol abuse and mental health, um, you know, issues in my family. And I really think if it wasn't for my brother, just being such a hardcore heroin addict, like I could have easily gone down the path, the opioid path, because that stuff is so harmful. And I was taking it at such a young age. So you know, I kind of catapulted me into a very passionate career in the health and wellness industry. Um, I got my undergrad in biology, my master's in science and health and exercise um, at the OHSU public health department and just started training athletes. I just wanted to be on the preventative side of medicine and try and help people feel their best, recover better, you know, just train better. I was a performance trainer, but you know, so I was working with elite athletes, but just, just move better, feel better, sleep better, hydrate better to hopefully stop them from, you know, um, getting into the orthopedic office or, you know, other surgical offices. Um, cause I thought I wanted to go down into med school and I realized very quickly that I want to be on the, I want to help prevent people from getting there. So Mindy, you know, we're a hemp brand, but really, uh, but we're launching a THC line in 2022 and we want to be the trusted cannabis brand for athlete minded individuals. Um, you know, we always say that there's an athlete in everyone because being an athlete is less about what you're doing physically, but more about like the mindset and of just like chipping away at small wins and discipline and determination just to like live your best life and feel your best. And cannabis products are really powerful. It's, you know, it's amazing. They've changed my life. Honestly, I only have been using them for the past like five or six years. And within a few months, I had cut my over-the-counter med use like 85%. I hardly ever take Tylenol Advil anymore. Um, you know, these products truly have helped me just like live a more balanced life, get better sleep. It's just, you know, it gets to the root of the problem in our body versus just like masking it. So we, we were an athlete focused hemp brand at the moment, um, but soon to be athlete focused cannabis brand. I love that. Like getting to the root of it instead of like the temporary bandaid. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we want to destigmatize cannabis and sports and, yeah, you know, there's a long history of racial oppression and disparities in the cannabis industry. It was built off the backs of black and brown people. And they're the same people that are, have not been reaping the same economic benefits and they're incarcerated at disproportionately higher rates. And we knew that going into it. And that's something that we want to help change. It's going to take a collective effort industry-wide. Um, but we just wanted to be a brand from the beginning that said, we know our privilege being two white owners. We know the, the racial disparities and oppression that have been going on in this industry. And we are here to do our part um, to name it, to talk about it, because it's important to have those conversations and to like recognize it um, and then like take actionable steps in how we build our business um, to make to hopefully, you know, build a brighter future for all people in the sports and cannabis industries. Amazing. So when you say inclusivity at the forefront, what does that mean to you and Mendy? So that means, you know, making sure that every decision we make, uh, whether it's, you know, for us, it started with, because we had to raise money and we know that less than 3% of female founded companies uh, get institutionalized funding. Most of the money and most of the capital out there is 
from the same demographic, which is, uh, you know, cisgender white straight men. Um, and we need to change that, you know, we cannot continue having our investment in capital landscape be from the, coming from the same people because then only those people are going to be accumulating wealth. So when we started raising money, we call it our monocap table. We did things very differently. We, you know, pitched it to only female athletes in the beginning. Um, so we have nine female athletes on our cap table, um, you know, black athletes, white athletes, gay, straight which is something we're really proud of. We wanted to give them first dibs in the first round because we were giving away a larger percentage of our company. So they were able to take more for less and hopefully we'll help them accumulate wealth. Um, and we wanted to have a diverse cap table. So we wanted to make sure that we were not just getting money from the same presenting type of people. So we have almost an equal amount of male and female investors on our cap table, a lot of LGBTQ represent representation, a lot of BIPOC representation. Um, and so that was really important. That was how we felt like we could, we could actually like put our money where our mouth is. And it's definitely been hard. It's taken us longer to close both rounds. I'm raising another round right now. Um, we, cause we're not just like knocking on the doors of VCs. Cause obviously most VCs are going to have like the same demographic of people working there. Um, so that was the first way is who we get our money from, what athletes we're signing, what partners and manufacturers and distribute we decide to, to, to use um, in our business. Um, and then obviously, you know, our, the culture that we're developing and our employees and just the, the community impact, the, the impact partners that we're working with here in Portland, um, just making sure that like we're doing our part to empower organizations that are actually creating like real equitable change in the cannabis industry, but also with our environment as well. So cool. lots of different ways. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's like a very long winded way of saying that. Um, but yeah, we, there's so many different things that every single, every single company has an opportunity to make decisions every day that with, with an equity, within an equity lens or an equitable lens, uh, or within with a quality in mind. Um, and we just miss the mark all the time in society and in capitalism, because we're so much more focused on making money and we hope, and again, we're only two years in the market. We have a long way to go. Our work has just begun, but we hope to create a company with a blueprint that says, here's all the decisions that we made from day one. And here's all the different ways that we help to create some equity and equality in, in both the sports and cannabis industries. Um, you know, but we're of course working within systems that like don't promote that. So it's definitely challenging, but it's very doable. Hmm. That's so cool. And also a, a lot, lot of work. work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a but, lot of work. It's a lot of work, but hopefully we'll be, you know, our hope is to be a leader in the industry um, and to, to for bring other brands and companies along and, you know, have them participate in the conversation and also, you know, lend a hand in creating a better future for all people. So we got a lot of work to do for sure. Cause we're still pretty small compared to most of our competitors. Um, but, you know, we're, we're creating conversations and providing resources to, in the right hands. Um, we have a wonderful team. We have a great group of athletes, a great group of investors. We're all very aligned in like where we want to see the industry grow. And I think that we're resonating in the marketplace because social consumption is kind of at like the forefront, right? Which is, which is great. Yeah. I think in addition to all of the 
<clears throat> all of these like really important key like elements that you're naming, there's the other element of creating visibility and creating representation of uh, you, you had mentioned this earlier, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to take the words from you, but you were saying, you know, like there are so few like women, gay women with short hair CEOs. Mm-hmm. Um, actually the, at the nonprofit where I work uh, is a gay woman, the founder, CEO, president has short hair. <laughs> um, That's so great. But it's like, yeah, yeah, but it's like, right. There, there are so few. And so how have so you, few. if at all, um, seen the impact of, of you simply just existing in this role? And creating this incredibly powerful business model, um, or if if because it's still building, what do you hope to see? Yeah, that's a great question. I actually just got chills. I don't know why. Um, I think because <laughs> I think I got chills in in this moment because I don't know what the effects of me being in this CEO position actually are. I do think, given everything that's happened in the past year and a half, more people are listening. So a female-founded, queer-founded brand in the cannabis industry, which is a historically cisgendered white straight male industry, I do think that it's raising eyebrows and starting a conversation, which is great. Am I seeing more capital come in? No. And at the end of the day, don't tell me that you care about equity and equality unless you want to give me a check because that is how we measure worth in this company, especially in the corporate world and especially in capitalism. So I still think there's a lot of lip service. I still think there's a lot of VCs out there and a lot of investors who like to use the buzzword because it makes them feel good. Um, I'm not seeing a ton of representation of queer representation in the cannabis industry. If anything, it's the opposite. You know, women, our LGBTQ community and people of color are definitely being pushed out of the industry because it's now taking much deeper pockets to just play in this space. And if you can't get the funding, I mean, it takes money to make money. So I think there's a lot of conversations being had, but I don't think that we're actually seeing more capital going to BIPOC, queer, or female-founded companies. In fact, it's the opposite. I mean, after 2020, women got hit terribly hard, and it went from 3% of female-founded companies getting institutionalized funding to like 2.5% or 2.3%. So, you know, I and I hate to be a Debbie Downer, but that's, you know, unfortunately, we measure worth in this country by money. So if you actually care about it, write some checks and start backing queer founded, female founded, BIPOC founded companies. Like that is the only way really to show that you care about visibility and representation. So I, it fuels my fire. Uh, We're not going anywhere. I, you know, I'm like dead set on creating like some impactful change in this industry, but um, I'd love to see more. I'd love to definitely see more equal distribution of capital. Yeah. I mean, and even, yes, absolutely. And I'm just thinking too, what, what kind of like visibility you are giving other, like other folks, not only young kids, but other people our age, even older who are, who, who are still trying to figure out where they fit in the world. And it's like, I don't know if I can do that. Kind of like what we were talking about earlier of like self-worth and like, can I do this? in addition to being 
insert identity here. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think you're doing powerful work on a lot of different fronts. Well, so are you, right? And like, so is my sister and Sue. And, and this, the reality is, is we may never reap the full benefits of yeah. this fight and this work that we're doing. But I do hope that it can, you know, we can hopefully create um, an easier path forward for the generation behind us. Um, but definitely, you know, I'm very, I'm hopeful. I, de- I really am hopeful, but I think we've got a long way to go still. And to your point about visibility, you know, I, I was saying this like pre-recording that I just, even just being like gay, I just don't see a lot of like short haired female gay leader, like CEOs and C-suite uh, leaders out there. And I would love to see it because I definitely, you know, I'm filled with self-doubt. Like I, I look around and I don't see anyone that looks like me and I'm in rooms with white straight men all the time. And that's intimidating. And I'm not like a seasoned C-suite executive. So it's easy for me to like question myself and feel intimidated, you know, but I just, I, you know, I learned, I heard a long time ago, I worked at Nike for a year and a half. Uh, I think I was like 27. And I, my, the first meeting, we had like a Q1 brand meeting for North America. So it was a really big meeting. And the first thing that the president of, of uh, brand for North America, he said, if you don't sit at the table, you can't participate in the conversation. And that really changed the course of my life. And I'm 36 now. So this was nine years ago. Um, And what I took from that is like, I have to push through my own self-doubt and I have to push through my own insecurities and uncertainties because if I at least am not, if I'm not sitting at the table, there's no way that I can create the change or the conversation or ask for the things that I want. So even though I would love to see more representation and I definitely, you know, oftentimes am the only gay person sitting at the table, um, I would just encourage myself, but also everyone else to like sit at the table. Cause if you don't show up, then it's just going to be so much harder to, to, to get the things that you want or that you deserve. So that's kind of like my, what's always going in the back of my head. Even when I'm feeling a little intimidated uh, or a little insecure in certain situations, I just force myself to like sit at the table. Um, and it, but it's not easy. It's definitely not easy. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's a, that's an important like reminder. And also for me, it's also reminding me to make sure that when I'm at the table, especially as a white person, uh, to make room for people who aren't initially invited to that table. Mm -hmm. Um, and like, yes, you can't have your voice heard if you're not at the table, but so many people don't even have a chair. Mm -hmm. Um, and so what does it look like to add chairs and, or break down the table completely, like kind of full circle to the beginning and what, what can we all build together? Um, Cause that's when we'll see like real equity when we're all doing it together and not just kind of plugging into capitalism basically. Yeah. Yeah, um, definitely. So I want to be respectful of boundaries and time. And I know that you have a hard <laughs> stop. Um, so instead of doing the lightning round with you verbally, I'm going to email you the questions, um, which is kind of, which is, I've never done it before, but I want to make sure that, that you get out of here on time. Yes. Um, but thank you so yeah. much for sharing and for being here. It was so, so great to meet you and to have this conversation. I so appreciate you having me on. Thank you for a wonderful conversation. This was such a nice part of my work day to like break up the day. And it's wonderful to meet you. Um, and thank you for all the important work that you're doing. Thank you. And thank you for coming out. Yeah. Thank you for coming out. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, so as you heard, we did not get to the lightning round, but Rachel was kind enough to send me her answers. So here we are, me reading Rachel's answers. Name your crayon. Lil Butchie Blue. Now, I love this, uh, and uh, Rachel told me after the fact that her twin helped her with that. Uh, it's just, I <laughs> Lil Butchie Blue. I think that's incredible. Okay, favorite time of day. We have morning. All right, checks out. Favorite current queer media representation. This is what Rachel says. I know this is going to sound strange, but I think the NFL player Carl Nassib from the Oakland Raiders took a huge step in the world of male sports. It was very brave of him to come out and tell his truth, and I hope it empowers more queer men in the world of professional sports to come out. I don't think that sounds strange at all, Rachel. I think that that is incredible that you picked this, uh, picked this person. And I think this representation and visibility, um, into the LGBTQ world is huge. So yes, not strange at all. A song that makes her heart sore. Uh, Rachel says, Tracy Chapman talking about a revolution. Yes. Good one. Favorite way to travel. Rachel says, I love traveling by boat or bike. Does this suffice? It sure as heck does. Favorite quote, we have, success does not come without failure, so fail hard. I love that. And uh, I agree. We should all uh, fail hard because we learn from the things that we fail from. And last but not least, bagels or donuts? Rachel said donuts. Now, Rachel, uh, (laughs) I am a bagel person, and so the fact that you said donuts is fine. I still support you. But the correct answer is bagels. Just kidding, it's donuts. All right, this was fun. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for coming out. Hey, everyone. It's your host, Dubs Weinblatt. Thank you so much for listening with an open heart and an open mind. If you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast, please do so so you don't miss an episode. And don't forget to rate and review us. It really helps. And we want to hear from you. We want to know your coming out story. Head on over to Thank You For Coming Out's Instagram page at Thank You For Coming Out and click the link in our bio. There's a form there where you can submit your coming out story, either anonymously or with your name. And you can have the chance to hear your story read out on the Thank You For Coming Out podcast. We're so happy that you're part of our community and we want you to know that your story matters. Thank you for coming out.